A new era is unraveling before us, and Tangent is back with a new limited series in collaboration with NYU Shack Institute of Real Estate. Tangent unites real estate lovers, technology adopters, and passionate creators in an effort to improve our cities and our built environment. Join us every month to learn how PropTech innovators, academic experts, and real estate leaders are solving our present-day challenges. If you're working on a PropTech solution, a nonprofit, or a small business that make our cities better and would like your mission featured on our features segment, feel free to email us at tangentcommunity at gmail.com. And remember, stay curious and always be learning. Hi, welcome to Tangent. I'm Edward Cohen. And I'm Shami Weissman. Today on Tangent, we have the opportunity to speak with Maureen Waters, partner at Metaprop, a venture capital firm focused on the PropTech industry with over 150 investments in tech companies. Maureen leads the growth of Metaprop's innovation services. Prior to Metaprop, Maureen was president of 10X, one of the largest online commercial real estate marketplaces. Maureen was previously head of real estate and asset management at Bill Gates Investments. Hi, Maureen. Where does this podcast find you? Hi, Edward. It finds me actually in Houston today. I'm in the middle of uh, moving uh, my mother from uh, a consolidation from a large home to a, a smaller uh, apartment. That's awesome. Noble mission. Good for you. <laughs> for sure. It's very cute. So, so Maureen, we're so excited to have you here. Why don't you tell us a bit about how you started your career in real estate and what led you to move to the prop tech world? I started my career early on uh, working for an architectural firm, actually. So uh, working, you know, in actually <laughs> in the accounting area, because I had originally thought that I wanted to be a, a CPA. So I had started there and then moved into help really build an architectural firm that was developing and really got the passion and, and the the real estate side of things and became, you know, much more involved in that. And then from there really, you know, got into the real estate services side. So went from big architectural firm to a small design firm and then off to my, uh, to a world of, of kind of the real estate services, starting with CBRE, uh, where they acquired one of the small businesses I was involved with. So I, I worked with CBRE in New York in lots of different capacities, but, but really around always around kind of the strategy, marketing, build, business development, and, you know, the research world. And so uh, from CBRE, who um, I, I, I grew quite fast there, and then this, uh, they wanted me to move to the West Coast. I wanted to stay on the East Coast, so I ended up at Cushman Wakefield, and I spent about 15 years there in lots of different capacities from had a business development in New York and then globally and then became chief marketing officer, chief strategy officer with the building of the strategic plan to sell the business and uh, really went through a transformation with them prior to the, the sale, the first sale to private equity and then into the Italians. And then from- Cushman's first sale to the private equity, you mean? Yes. To, to, uh, at the time it was called the XOR, became EFIL, it's the Italian, the Agnelli family. And then, and then of course they sold again to TPG, but I had then, I transitioned after the first sale and I wanted to get out of New York. So I took on a role, uh, uh, heading real estate for Bill Gates investment arm. 
and that was really more around kind of you know building out their real estate strategy and and I moved from New York to Seattle to to do that role and spent some time actually out of New York, which was helpful, a much uh, slower pace, and um, built out their real estate strategy and you know built out the asset management team. And once we completed that, uh, they wanted to continue to be opportunistic in their investing of real estate. So I decided that I wanted to get into tech uh, within the still in the real estate sector, but uh, went to take on a role for 10X. Uh, in order to get into tech, actually coming out of real estate, it wasn't easy. I um, took a step back to uh, to move forward. So I actually uh, went to 10X as uh, their CMO and chief strategy officer and then built out the, the marketing and strategy function and moved from there uh, to take on sale. 10X, just to clarify, 10X is the online commercial real estate marketplace, right? Yes. So it was it, it combined the real estate for me and the tech side of things and and 10x uh, they they kind of were built all, all you know around the first you know the 2008 and nine kind of decline in real estate uh, they're an auction platform and you know they were uh, you know really built out, out of that kind of auction expertise to help the banks and special servicers you know get rid of their distressed real estate so. From there, we built out a platform. I helped them build out a platform that was uh, also non-auction to help uh, brokers and other real estate investors dispose of real estate that was non-distressed. And from there, uh, we sold we sold that business twice, once to private equity, uh, TH Lee out of Boston, and then the second time to, to CoStar. So on that, I transitioned uh, to... Uh, a um, startup that we formed called uh, Transact IQ right before the onset of COVID and COVID kind of uh, put every, put those plans on hold because it was a transactional business, business that, you know, really required uh, the ability to do a lot of transactions to grow it fast enough. And that volume. Yeah, needed the volume and couldn't get it, you know, obviously during COVID. So I had um, spent some time, you know, on the fundraising side, raising capital and had spent a fair amount of time with Metaprop during that process for Transact IQ. And I decided as things uh, slow down getting into COVID that I would uh, join them. I had known one of the founders, uh, Aaron Block, for many years. At, he also was at Cushman and Wakefield. So uh, decided to help, uh, you know, join them and help them grow their innovation and, and their business overall. Fascinating. I mean, you've seen so many different perspectives of the industry from, from so many different sides and a lot of stakeholders. Uh, so I think you bring, you bring on a very interesting perspective. Uh, Maureen, so let's uh, move on to now what you're doing with Metaprop. Um, so you're working with with limited partners, right? Which are essentially owners and operators of commercial real estate, and helping them collaborate with uh, prop tech companies. So, what are Metaprop's uh, limited partners most interested in from the prop tech world? Well, I would say right now, having just kind of concluded a, a round with with our most strategic investors uh, around kind of plans for 2022, I would say the the key themes we're seeing right now are are really around all things uh, ESG um, with a heavy emphasis on sustainability, climate tech, uh, every, you know, very heavy emphasis on Web3 and all things in the, in the metaverse. 
And um, I would say the third component is, I think we're, you know, we're starting to see with, you know, co with folks going back to the office, less around what we, we traditionally called COVID tech and more around kind of how, how to actually automate some of the, the world that we, you know, kind of took for granted prior to, to COVID, but really heavy with a heavy emphasis on data. So I would say, you know, all the, you know, all the AI tools and data tools that, you know, help make things, you know, easier to be more predictive. Uh, and more preventative uh, on the real estate side. Very interesting. And we're definitely going to cover uh, everything around sustainability and ESG and, and climate tech uh, soon. Um, but first, uh, I mean, sounds super interesting, the Web3 uh, penetrating the, the real estate world and as well as COVID tech, as you as you named it. I haven't heard that term, but uh, I think it uh, fits uh, right. The Urban Impact Agency is helping the next generation of urban tech entrepreneurs better scale their impact across cities globally. As an ecosystem builder and consultant, the Urban Impact Agency helps startup founders drive their go-to-market strategy and fundraising efforts. Their team has helped pioneer some of the most sustainable office buildings while also working with pioneering cities, organizations, and businesses to run world-class urban tech innovation programs. Together with foundations and city innovation labs across Berlin, New York, London and Boston, the Urban Impact Agency hosts intensive go-to-market programs for PropTech startups and innovators to more easily connect with city ecosystems around the world to pilot and deploy technology that improves their communities. If you are a PropTech or urban tech founder looking to partner directly with cities, you should attend one of their upcoming learning journeys called The Assembly. If you would like to learn more about the Urban Impact Agency's work or attend one of their upcoming assemblies, please visit urbanimpact.agency. That's U-R-B-A-N-I-M-P-A-C dot agency. You can also reach out directly to Jonas Shore, partner at the Urban Impact Agency at jonas at urbanimpact.agency. That's J-O-N-A-S at urbanimpact.agency. So Maureen, we, we were chatting about Web3. You mentioned it's one of the one of the main topics that you're seeing come up in the recent past. So I had a couple of questions about that. Number one is I would love for you to give us your take on defining what Web3 is for our listeners, just because we've heard a lot of different people referring to Web3 in, in different fashions. So curious on your take on that one. Uh, number two is very interested in hearing what your LPs are interested in within the Web3 uh, world. And finally, just like your predictions for the next year in, in the space and how it's going to impact the real estate VC world. So Web3... <laughs> Um, Web three is a is a um, tough topic that, and the reason for that is because I think it tends to get confused with lots of different, um, yeah, metaverse and web, you know, and all kinds of different internet um, kind of terminologies that folks are using, whether it's blockchain or crypto or other things, and and I think that there is a lot of confusion in the marketplace especially in the real estate world as well, to, about, you know, what it all means and, and how to think about it. And so most of the work that we're doing right now has been around educating um, our LPs on on just that, right? And, and so 
when we talk about Web3, and I'm, I, I'll just tell you up front, I'm not an expert on Web3. I'm learning a lot about it myself, but um, as we uh, kind of think about it, and I'm working very closely with, with a startup right now that is heavy in the Web3 space around blockchain. And so, you know, the way that I've heard it described that I think is the easiest to understand is they kind of, they, if you think about if we're, we're working on Web3 right now and we were, and we started this whole internet, internet world in Web1, that that was really kind of when, when the internet became a thing, right? And it was like, you know, information became accessible to everyone through, you know, Google and Yahoo and, when you know all of that the whole internet became you know accessible at our fingertips and then we moved from from that kind of thinking about it as web one to web two what we would call you know some would call web two which is kind of what was also kind of coined as the platform economy so moving from an information economy to taking that internet, that information that was available and overlaying a platform. And those platforms, you know, where you see like Uber and Facebook, and I mean, if you, you stay to the social ones, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, any of those that are kind of more of a platform. And, you know, the the issue that folks had with, with that was that, you know, we kind of lost the control of your data. And so where Web3 became very popular was it was to say you know hey we want to take back control of our of our data and then web 3 you know it sometimes gets defined as just that is it's the internet where you you really own your own data and you do that through the blockchain and through through creating you know a, a ledger that you know allows you to access data that you wouldn't have access to otherwise and and it's kind of gotten big in the, the world of kind of the what they call decentralized financial world and the fintech world, you know, where you, you hear more about the crypto and the tokenization of things. And and so where it's where it's become important to for real estate owners and developers and, and those and operators in that space is really kind of what does that mean for them? Um, can that create value for them? Because it's essentially, you know, data, right? Like it's putting data in the hands of the owners rather than in someone else's hands is the concept behind it, you know, at a very simple, very simplified, right? So so in the con- in the context of real estate and, and your limited partners at Metaprop, what specifically within Web3 is relevant to them and their businesses? I would say within Web3 was what I think is relative to them is the blockchain um, because that give in the whole data side of things because in in the world of Web3 as we as it starts to build and grow I think that you'll see more and more owners and landlords have the ability to have that data you know think about if you think about an NFT which is a to- essentially just a token you see, you know, how I think one of the most easiest NFTs to understand was those that they created for art, you know, very expensive artwork where it actually, NFT was actually attached to that art, right? So it stayed with it and rather than, you know, and, and it created value for that artwork because as it, as it transitioned from one, one owner to another, that, that NFT stayed with it. And so it, the value also stayed with it. So if you think about real estate that way, then the value of real estate 
ultimately could become greater by actually making the data more accessible for so many private assets that you know are very hard to, to value. And so the whole valuation aspect of real estate, um, Web3 is, is going to really, uh, I think, make a difference on and as well as kind of the, the you know, creating sort of almost like a, a NASDAQ, right, which is kind of a, the dream world of real estate, which is how you would trade assets uh, long term. Uh, it would make a big difference on. But the most interesting thing is that, you know, we've, we've spent a lot of time advising our LPs on date, you know, data warehouses and building data architecture. And what do they do with all the data they have on all the buildings that they have around the world? And that and where Web3 can really be super helpful is allowing them to monetize and think about that data differently rather than always concerned about what giving up their data to some other you know to some other platform that they then lose control over their own their own data right in a web3 environment they own their own data it's just a blockchain that allows them to convert it right it, it doesn't leave their hands i think there are a lot of gems in there thanks for that maureen and um in terms of i mean data ownership data privacy uh, we're certainly at a, at a crossroads, but uh, I still feel, and this may be a generational change that we're going to see, but I still feel we all, you know, be, we like to talk about data privacy and data ownership, but we 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 don't mind not owning as much as, uh, of our data as long as we get, uh, you know, convenient delivery fee and convenient ads targeted at us. So it's one of those things that, I mean, yeah, like, uh, you know, buildings now that are starting to collect so much data from the people that work in their buildings, that live in their buildings, that, you know, use their spaces. I don't see in the near future uh, building owners uh, giving that data back to the users. Um, but it's interesting to see in this in the lens of real estate. But in the in the case of Web3, they don't get their, real, their data back. The data stays with the building owner. And when the building the, the wonderful thing about it is when the building changes hands, right? Like the data stays with it. It doesn't, it does, it's in the unit, like it's not moving, right? It's in the blockchain at that point. The blockchain secures it with the building, you know, with the asset. So it's pretty, it, it will be, make a, a very big impact in real estate when, when once they start to see traction there. Are there any particular companies that, that you think we should be on the lookout for that are making headwinds in, in this space? On Invenium IO, who is probably the leader in really focusing in on, on the blockchain for real estate, I, I think that it's it's a complex undertaking, right? And it, it has lots of different components when you think about the, the stack within real estate and how do you digitize that stack, right? It, it's quite complex. And so, you know, um, building that and, and, and creating the blockchain around that is, is something that they're working on and I, I think have made great traction on. And so I would, I would say of the companies I've seen, there are others that are just specifically in crypto and DeFi and, you know, the NFT world in specific pieces of Web3, but, but not, not many that are trying to do, you know, the, 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 the entire ecosystem. Interesting. Um, I mean, there's there's so much here. Uh, you know, on one hand, you have the real estate world that is used to operating in in an antiquated way in many cases, and then you have the the disruptors and the innovators uh, creating tech uh, for them. Can can you share some of the you know current setbacks that you've seen in the past when uh, you know real estate and technology work together, and and how have you solved them, or how can we solve them? 
Sure, sure. Well, I, I think, you know, I entered the the venture capital world and this prop tech world in, you know, the middle of the pandemic, right? So I've had a, a great opportunity to see so much advancement in technology and, you know, adoption in the real estate world, because having spent, as I mentioned earlier on, my entire career in real estate, uh, it's been, you know, and, and having, being someone with, you know, that's, you know, kind of a, a strategic person at heart, you know, where I love the change and the disruption. And that's something that I'm really passionate about, that it's been frustrating, you know, because it's taken so long, or I've spent so many years trying to get, you know, the, the adoption, whether it would be at, you know, 10x or Cushman Wakefield, you know, the thing that I'm that I really have enjoyed over the last few years, even though unfortunately, COVID actually was part of the reason it happened is that there's been a lot of adoption, a lot more technology, uh, obviously, that's um, that been built and been built for the real estate world and, and a lot more adoption for that reason. You know, I think that it's a it's very different than it was, you know, back in the early 2000s when we saw the, the big kind of boom in, in tech. You know, I think in this last kind of round of or what we would call, you know, kind of the acceleration and the growth of prop tech in, in, the last, in, in the most recently in the last five or six years, it has really been kind of driven by COVID. And so whether it's, you know, the automation of buildings or, you know, as it relates to access control or or security or safety or predictive, you know, kind of maintenance or, you know, kind of the whole data component with the digital twins and, you know, those things didn't exist. A lot has changed, definitely. Um, would, would you say that could, you know, the, the, the fact that there's so much out there, as you were pointing out, could that, you know, generate a lot of noise for the incumbents in real estate to try to adopt or innovate? Yeah. How do you how do you help your LPs prioritize between all of these? Well, you know, during during COVID, it was really a, a lot of emphasis on back to work, right? And on air quality and safety and security of buildings. Today, I think it's, you know, so so we, you know, what the way, you know, generally outside of that, the way our, an LP would think about it is here is a specific pain point. Like we had a, a an LP um, that has a very large retail portfolio of, of shopping centers and they were very interested in, you know, looking at how to get customers in and out of their shopping centers safely and securely during COVID. So we went through a whole virtual queuing selection and scanning of the market around, you know, almost 30 plus real estate technologies that could be used for virtual queuing in this case. And, um, and then, you know, really assessed it, you know, based on specific rankings and priorities that they had. And, you know, they had a, a team that of folks on their the retail team on their end that was part of, of the selection committee. We piloted that technology and, and then, you know, within a very short, almost 90 days uh, from beginning to end, uh, deployed that technology into 20 shopping centers so that their retailers could effectively and efficiently get the customers in and out of the, the shopping center. So it was great success story. You know, they, uh, they had almost 50% of the retailers actually uh, adopt the technology and uh it was you know those are that's what we call flawless or tremendous <laughs> execution i mean ni 90 days it, yeah like you know it doesn't matter what sales cycle you're in but if you're selling technology to real estate uh you know three months is uh mo most people will tell you that they would sign that especially for a large reit 
Um, so that's that's impressive. And thanks for sharing that uh, anecdote. It is an understatement that real estate has been slow to digitize. Looking at more modern industries, it's evident that real estate is lacking a way to effectively transition from obsolete systems to modern technologies. This is where Illity comes to the rescue. Illity provides a no-code framework to connect legacy solutions with new ones and help real estate companies and organizations complete digital transformations across their buildings and operations. Illity's middleware technology has already been deployed across 80 million square feet, giving companies like RxR, Legal and General and EQ have complete control over their technology, operations and products. By using physical rights management, commercial real estate operators have a simple framework for digitizing their asset management and leasing operations to increase NOI, improve efficiencies and decrease operating expenses. For Tangent listeners who are interested in finding out more about how to future-proof your buildings and operations using Illity's middleware technology, please email hello at illity.com. That's hello at I-L-I-T-Y dot com. Um, let's move on to sustainability in real estate and, you know, the decarbonization of our cities and climate tech. So the real estate industry is the most exposed to global warming. And it's also the most responsible when it comes to generating greenhouse gas emissions. In numbers, the real estate industry consumes 40% of all energy globally, uh, and we emit 30% of all carbon dioxide, uh, which means that we also use 40% of all raw materials across the globe. So let's talk about sustainable buildings in climate tech. How are you and your LPs uh, approaching uh, this issue? Since I've been involved in kind of advising a lot of the real estate investors, RLPs, um, the first time I've seen it across the board be, you know, a priority uh, for, I would say, 100% of them um, that moving into 2022 that are either they've already made their commitment and are working at building out a plan to fulfill it, you know, whether it's decarbonizing existing buildings or whether they're developing new buildings or whether they're just trying to, you know, operationalize some, you know, ways that they're building out their their existing uh, processes, you know, how they're operating their business. And so it's been, you know, very exciting from the standpoint of that everybody has is focused on it right now. And I have myself spent enormous amount of time in, you know, educating, you know, so, you know, where, where our LPs will ask us, you know, can you just, can we just focus on climate tech and can we drill into what are the categories within climate tech and, and what does that look like for us and where should we be focused? And most of, most of them have figured out, you know, where they have the greatest expense, you know, which is always around energy and, you know, how can they think about energy differently and not differently, but you know, what categories and, you know, can they really focus in on to have the greatest impact? You know, and then others are, are very, you know, there's a big focus right now on reporting and, and on how do I manage, you know, how do I even know, you know, how, what the numbers look like, you know, from that I need to, as a baseline to start before I start thinking about decarbonization and how do I get to a point where I, all of these manual Excel sheets that I have that are from every building all over, you know, that I have to manually consolidate. How do I, you know, think about getting that automated first so that I can have a baseline? That's really interesting, Maureen. And 
just to clarify, right, as you're advising your LPs on, on this subject, are you essentially like presenting them with technology that you're investing on the Metabrook fund side, or are you consulting for them? We are unique in that, and you can include this if you'd like, but we are unique in that we, when one of our LPs asks us for help in a specific area, we will scan the market. So it, even though we are the largest investor in early stage prop tech, we have a very large portfolio, 150 plus holdings. You know, we believe that we need to be objective about solving for their pain points, right? So while we might have an, a portfolio company that fits the need perfectly, in which case it's a perfect match, but we may not. And in, in those cases, we, we start with a scan of the entire market and categorizing the market. And then we drill into, you know, what specific technologies that meet the needs of the portfolio uh, of the LP. And then, you know, if it's a portfolio company, obviously it's great for us. If it's not, uh, we, we, we will select uh, whatever technologies out there that meets the needs. Fascinating. No, I think that that's definitely something that's been on my mind sometimes. Is it, you know, when you talk about introducing or, work, you know, working with uh, solutions and, and buildings, uh, is it is it a solution chasing a problem? Uh, how painful is the problem? Uh, you know how how good of a product market fit? If there's a technology solution that works for for retail, uh, is there the, does that mean there's also good product market fit for office? Uh, so you know these things are uh, you know very interesting to see how you you and your LPs are approaching it, Marine. Uh, so yeah, you talk about measuring, which I think is crucial in this in this whole innovation aspect. So what are some of the industry's uh, North Star metrics uh, when it comes to measuring progress uh, in making our buildings more sustainable? Uh, it's, it's difficult, right? Because most of the focus right now is sustainability, at least, is around compliance, right? It, you know, especially in a city like New York, where, you know, you have very specific, you know, government the regulations help, right? Because the, the regulations in in the world we're, we're in, you know, helps us get to, you know, the place that we need to be at net zero, which we're a long ways away from. And so, um, you know, compliance to those regulations is important, um, you know, because there'll be fines, right? At certain points in certain cities and states have, have already started down the path of really starting to, to look at how they measure, you know, and ensure that that happens. And so, there are technologies that help do that. And I think that's really where mo most of the folks who are advising are, are focused right now. What about uh, certifications, you know, like LEED or WELL? Is that something that uh, your LPs are interested in and that you guys assist with or not necessarily? That's more other consultants. There are absolutely technologies that will help you track certifications. But get, getting the certification itself, it's not something we, we do, you know, because we're, we're focused on the prop, the prop tech side of it. Um, but there are certainly lots of consultants that do help get those certifications. But right now, I think it's less about the certifications themselves, at least getting them. It's more about kind of tracking them and ensuring that um, as you think about each of the buildings and, and how to decarbonize them, where where our, the certifications are nice to have, right? But they're, you know, and they create value long-term, but you really also need to be tracking, you know, the, how much, you know, carbon you're, you, you know, you know, all of the specific metrics you need for, you know, the, the compliance. Great. 
So Maureen, we're very happy to have you here, namely because of your experience in the industry, both in traditional real estate and prop tech, but also because you do happen to be our first female guest of the season. We're very, very happy for that. But we've struggled a bit to find, you know, senior uh, women in the industry, specifically within the prop tech industry, you know, that would want to to come to the podcast. So how, how do you think we can advance diversity and inclusion in this male-dominated industry, both within traditional real estate and in prop tech in, in particular? Well, I think it, it is getting better in prop tech, uh, although, you know, I, I don't think the numbers are high enough. I'm, uh, you know, I think that it's, we have a long way to go. I find, you know, what I really do with mentoring is mentoring young women that are in the business that can create a roadmap for them to, you know, how to advance their career along and to make things more diverse. I think it requires some real commitment from the top down. And so from a Metaprop perspective, you know, I'm one, four partners, uh, and, and we have quite a few within the team, quite a lot of diversity um, and, and have, you know, a, a policy around it. And so when we, when we look at startups and when we hire folks onto our own, into the company, you know, that's always a big concern of ours and something we look at very strongly to, to ensure that we, that we make those commitments happen. And so I would say mentoring from my perspective personally is, is really important and something that I speak on quite a bit because I think it's, it's something that will, will allow the advancement to happen but also just getting, you know, more folks in the in the C-suite to really commit to diversity, DEI, you know, type of initiatives where it's part of the, the company culture. Uh, I don't see it again, you know, it's like sustainability. I don't see it happening overnight. Uh, I think that fo- there are more folks committed to, to it today now more than ever, um, but we have a lot of work to do. And I, I worry that with COVID that you know that there's I don't have the stats um, in front of me, but there we've lost quite a few um, women in the industry because you know due to you know either they've given up and don't want the headaches or they um, are at home taking care of families because you know they're because of all the schooling issues and care issues that we've had during COVID. Yeah, I think I mean in one of our previous episodes, uh, Zane Jaffer he said that it's not about uh, diverse quotas or setting up specific targets to to fill up, but making sure you have a diverse pipeline, a diverse pipeline when it comes to hiring, a diverse pipeline when it comes to investing and so on. Anyway, let's, uh, let's move on to a miscellaneous question, the magic wand. So Maureen, let's assume we give you a magic wand uh, and it gives you the power to change, uh, improve anything from your city. Uh, so what aspect would you choose to improve uh, from your city, if you could? So personally, my one, uh, me, I'm in Seattle. So um, considering, not today, of course, I, I'm in Houston today, but generally I, I'm based in Seattle. And so my magic wand would allow Seattle to have sunshine all year long. <laughs> <laughs> no, no more rain. That would be my personal wand. My professional wand um, would be, yeah, I'm, I'm extremely passionate around sustainability. You know, I, I would really, you know, I'm really watching closely because I think that we have more attention on this topic than we have in my career. 
uh, in real estate. And my magic wand would, would really find the right scenario whereby um, investors can invest and whether that's lengthening the timeline so that those technologies that, you know, are more, are more sustained, you know, are focused on sustainability um, or climate tech, you know, are, are able to get traction fast enough, right, in, in the world of investment. I would, my wand would allow that to happen and allow those startups that are in that category to really have a chance to, to build and grow and make the U.S., you know, or North America even a, a really, you know, sustainable place, much, you know, like Europe has been for, you know, as a good example of what could happen um, by leveraging a little bit of regulations, a little bit of, of incentives and seeing, so my magic wand, I guess, in summary would be seeing everyone come together to make that happen, whether it's government, whether it's the real estate industry and, and others, you know, that fill in the ecosystem to really make this happen this time. I think there's two main themes in what you just said that I really like. Uh, one is, is short-termism or, or you know, lack of focus in, in, in the long-term and collaboration, because that's at the core what we need the most uh, in the industry and, and in our cities. Absolutely. Great. Uh, Maureen, uh, where can our Tangent listeners find you and Metaprop? You can find us at uh, metaprop.vc is uh, the website. Uh, and I'm at uh, mwaters at metaprop.vc. Great. Listeners can find that in the episode description. Maureen, thank you once again for your time and for being here with us today. Very exciting to learn what you and Metaprop are working on. Thanks so much, Eddie. I really enjoyed uh, speaking with you and, and I hope to... Um, get a chance to connect again soon. This episode was produced by Edward Cohen and Shami Wiseman. If you like what you heard, please share Tangent with a friend. Special thanks to Sam Shandon and everyone at NYU Shack. Tangent's artwork was designed by Michael Lowy. Thanks for listening to Tangent and remember, collaboration is our superpower as a species, so stay curious and always be learning.